Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. All right, as we get going today, first off, I just can't say I'm so great to see all of you gathered together. It's a beautiful thing to have a, a house of God almost full. Just keep inviting your friends and family. We start off with a sort of a hokey story, and I apologize in advance for it. So you may have heard this story. There's a, a guy who owns a house, and it starts to flood, and there's water pouring in into the basement, and before you know it, it's up to the light bulbs. Um, not a good situation. Uh, a guy comes by on the driveway and says, hey, jump in my truck, let's go. And he says, no, 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 it's okay, God will save me. Water keeps on rising, and he's, you know, in the living room, it's up to his chest. He gets a little bit nervous. Outside, there's a friend with a canoe. Come on, let's go. He says, it's okay, God will save me. You know it's coming, right? Well, the water keeps rising. He climbs to the top of the house. There's just a few, a strip of shingles as he's sitting there, and it's dark and rainy. And in the distance, a helicopter, a chopper, comes, lowers down the ladder. He says, come on, let's go. And what does he say, of course? God will save me, it's okay. Right? Guy dies, of course. Um, he goes to heaven, and uh, he says, God, I thought you would save me. And he says, well, I tried three times. All right. <laughs> All right, so I'm sorry if that was a really hokey story. The reason I told, yeah, it is, shake your head if that was hokey. I, know, I didn't make it up. I'm just passing it on, so don't, you know, don't shoot the messenger. Well, um, you know, we often think that what we want to get saved from and how we want to get saved from it, right? Uh, I don't know about you, I've had cancer in the past, uh, gone to Roswell, a couple other hospitals as well, with my whatever stage cancer, and uh, they test you and they say, this, this is your, your diagnosis. And, and then they have the gall to say, you know, what do you want us to do? Like, I'm not an oncologist, you decide, you're the expert, right? But we're, people are so used to giving us the option, how do you want to save yourself? What do you think you want to get saved from? Should you get treated? Should you take this immunotherapy or that one or the combination? You decide. Like, you're the expert, right? But that's how it is in our life. We are so used to figuring out, well, what do I need help with? And how do I get that help for myself? Can you relate to that? Right? Be that cancer or anything in life, right? So what I wanted to share with you today is um, something that has to do with the cover of your bulletin, just that word there. It says, we're thinking about James the Just. Right, how does this have to do with my story? Well, I want to share with you this and see if it makes sense to you from what we'll look at in Acts chapter 15. If Jesus is risen, then he can decide what he saves us from and how he saves us. If Jesus is risen, and you're all here because I think you believe he is, but if he is risen, then he can decide what he saves us from and how he's going to save us. Does that make sense? That's basically it. So if you just zone out for the next few minutes, that's okay, I'll wake you up. But that's the gist. I hope you stick around, though. Um, so we're looking at the story of the early church, Acts chapter 15. So if you have your bulletin, open to that section. And we see in this section, as Libby was reading it, there's conflict right away. There's two groups of Christians. There's the, quote-unquote, pagan or used-to-be pagan Christians. They didn't grow up believing in one God. They may have believed in zero gods or lots of gods, but they didn't believe in one God, right? But now they heard the message of Jesus. They are now Gentile or nation, national Christians. They're not Jewish. Then there's this other group of Christians. There's a, these are the Judea 
Christians, the ones who've come from Israel. They're the ones who grew up in Israel. They know the law of Moses. They come, and as it says in verse 1, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, that is the used-to-be pagan brothers. They're teaching them this, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? That's what they're telling them. So, you, in other words, you've got to become Jewish. Now, in our day, like, boys get circumcised for the most part. But back then, the only ones that did were these strange Jewish people that wanted to be different, that wanted to follow the law of Moses, right? So it was really uh, kind of a, a big thing to ask. Unless you get circumcised, like Moses told you, you cannot be saved, right? Well, Paul and Barnabas is there at that church. He brought people into the faith, and there's a big disagreement. Uh, there's a huge discussion. They can't figure it out. They don't solve it. So they send Paul and Barnabas up to Jerusalem with some other guys. And then you can see what happens in verse 4. It says this. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and all the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But, but some believers in Judea who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Now you might be thinking, I thought Pharisees were completely non-Christian. Well, here are some Pharisees that became Christians, but they haven't given up their ideas quite yet. Some of those believers who belonged to the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise... Oh, let me say that again. It is necessary to circumcise them and... Now they add a new thing. And to order them to keep the law of Moses. Good deal, right? Anyone here Jewish? You're, you're none of you? Pagans, like me, right? Well, if this side had won out, in order to be a Christian, we would have to keep all the hundreds of Jewish laws. Some of them, like the Ten Commandments, which we should keep, but many of them about our diet, um, the way our clothes, all these different things to show that we're separate. Now, the law is good, okay? But it has a purpose. But these guys say, unless you follow the law of Moses, you pagans, you cannot be saved, right? So obviously there's a big debate here, right? Um, and we know what side wins out. So Peter talks a while, we'll come back to that. Paul and Barnabas talk a little bit, and then it's settled. The matter is settled by a patriarch. Take a look at verse 13, I guess it is. After they finished speaking, so they've been going back and forth, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. This man is the patriarch. When he opens his mouth at the end of the meeting, it's done. Whatever he says is going to happen. Maybe you've been in situations like that with your, your, your family. Papa Gordy speaks, that's it, right? Whatever it is. Here, a couple years ago, we were wondering, should we buy an organ? It's going to cost us a lot of money. Our old one is starting to fail. Should we buy this? Remember that, Pastor Wisher? Yeah. It, and it was going back and forth. Some said, yes, we need a new organ. Others said, that's too much money. We're not going to buy an organ. Back and forth until a patriarch spoke. Dan Hahn, uh, one of our patriarch's long-term members who's now at Greenfield, he, he said, I don't know what's right. I don't know if we should buy this organ, but I know we should do something. I think we should buy it. Guess how the meeting ended? How are we going to buy it? Right? It was settled. It was done. He stood up and spoke. He had the authority. Here, this guy, at this council, should these believers become Jewish to be a Christian? Well, that matter was settled right here when this guy spoke. James spoke and settled it. 
And he drew from scripture, and he quoted from, uh, from Amos and said that God has a people that he puts his name on that are not Jewish. Amen? That's a good thing. God has put his name on us, even though we're not Jewish. Okay? Well, who is this guy? James. No, who, raise your hand if you have no idea. <laughs> it's okay if you don't. Uh, no problem. Uh, there's different James in the Bible. One was uh, the brother of John, James and John. These are like hot-tempered dudes that follow Jesus around, a close inner circle of three, James and John. Well, that's not that John. He's already killed in chapter uh, 12 of Acts. This is a different James. This is James that's the brother or some think the cousin of Jesus. I'll just say brother for, for ease. He's the brother of Jesus. So it's a big deal that he is the patriarch here at this church, of the church, that he would be the one to speak. Why is it such a big deal? Who knows? No one, right? It's okay, I'll help you out. Well, what we read earlier from Mark, if you look in your gospel reading, Jesus' family, it didn't come easy to think that this guy that you grew up next to, yes, he keeps his room clean. Yes, he does the dishes. Yes, he takes out the garbage. Yes, he does all that stuff. But the king of Israel, the son of God, I don't think so. This is just Jesus, right? So this is the brother of Jesus. And of course, it's going to take him a while to figure out who he is because he's just his brother. If you read what we read earlier is that his mother and brothers and sisters think that Jesus is out of his mind. Does that mean they believe strongly in him? No. They think he's crazy. Other places in scripture, um, Mark chapter 6 Matthew 13, Jesus goes to his hometown and he's totally rejected. And Jesus includes in this rejection his family. His family rejects him. John chapter 7, the first few verses, you can look at it. His brothers get fed up and, and they say something like this. All right, Jesus, you're this big shot. If you're all this and you're going to show that you're the king of the world, basically go and show everyone. Do some amazing signs. Go for it. And then John says, for his brothers did not believe in him brothers don't believe, right? This is who this is, is Jesus' brother. Why is it a big deal that he would all of a sudden be the patriarch? Because he had no reason to believe. What happened to his brother? It's not hard, guys. We all know this. What happened to Jesus? He, he got crucified. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by the political leaders. He was done. He was made an example. Don't do this. Don't do what Jesus did, or this will happen to you. Right? It was a death penalty. That's what happened to Jesus. So why would James take over this movement of a rejected and dead carpenter? All right. Because he rose from the dead. So my, remember my thesis? I don't normally have a thesis, but I apologize. I'm just trying to make it helpful. If Jesus is risen... He can decide what to save you from and how to save you. So, if Jesus is risen, something happened to James. I have a, a friend who's going to read 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to turn there in your pew Bible, you can. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Ken back there is going to read that. Now I would recommend, remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as 
of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Thank you, Ken. So Paul gives us the answer. This is the good news, that Jesus not only died for our sins, buried, but he was raised from the dead. And how do we know? It didn't just happen in a corner. People saw it. In fact, James saw it. James, who had nothing that he wanted to do with Jesus, he saw it, and he became a new man. He started following Jesus. In fact, so much so that he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So something happened to to James. That was Jesus showing up to him. So does this prove that Jesus rose from the dead? No. We can't go back in history and see Jesus risen from the dead. It's a really good evidence, though. So if Jesus is risen, and we all say he is, right? let's try that. If Jesus is risen... All right, then he can decide what to save you from and how to save you. He hasn't promised to save you from a motorcycle accident. He hasn't promised to save you from cancer yet. He hasn't promised to do, uh, save you from a bad relationship. He hasn't promised those things. But there are certain things he has promised to save you from. Right? Let's take a look in our text in Acts 15 again. And we'll pull a little bit. I'm going to share, you, share with you three things quickly that Jesus decides to save you from. Right? And then I'll share you, with you basically one big thing, how he does it, right? which you already know, but we'll remind you. This is verse, um, verse 6. Peter stood up halfway through and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. By the way, that's the how, hearing and believing. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. Now here's the first thing that he saves us from. By, this is for those pagans, us, by giving them the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing he saves you from. What does he save you from? A life of not having the Holy Spirit. Blaise Pascal, the scientist uh, from, I don't know, 1600 or 1700, he says, he's also a philosopher, he says that our heart is a God-shaped vacuum. And that nothing can fill it except for God. Right? So, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, then we have either no spirit or worse. So here, the first thing we're saved from is not having the Holy Spirit. Um, you guys remember King David? Just in brief, really good guy, man after God's own heart, right? Lived a perfect life? No, right? He had one huge catastrophe where he, um, he basically stole uh, Uriah's wife, right? And he broke every commandment. Uh, He had Uriah killed. Um, So just thinking about the Ten Commandments, just quickly, uh, you all know them. First commandment, you shall have no other gods. Well, David became his own god. Second commandment, basically you should uh, pray. David did not pray in this whole ordeal. Third commandment, you should hear God's word. David wasn't listening to God. Fourth commandment, you should honor your father and mother. Think of the shame that David brought on his family line. Fifth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. I think he broke that one. Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. He stole Uriah's wife. Eighth commandment, you shall not lie about it. Totally broke that one. Ninth and tenth commandments, you shall not covet. Broke those two. David broke every commandment. Right? As do we, often. 
But he prayed this as God turned him back to him in Psalm 51. He says this, these beautiful words. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What we need is a life of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So the first thing God saves us from is a life without the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, God will give you the Holy Spirit by the asking. All right, so second thing. Um, back in Acts 9, uh, 15, uh, he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Second thing that God decides to save us from is an unclean heart. The, David goes on in Psalm 51, and he says this, Purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's why we say in our confession uh, that if, if we say we have no sin, we lie, deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, what? God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That's the second thing that God decides to save us from is an unclean heart. Third thing that he saves us from. Peter goes on, verse 9, he made no distinction, having cleansed us their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He's basically saying, why are you trying to make these pagan Christians keep the law of Moses? It's not for them. This yoke that, they're putting, that they were trying to put on them was not able to be done by the Jewish people. Can any of us keep the law of God? Have us? No. James will later say in, one of his, in his letter that if we stumble in one point, we've broken the whole law. Right? We are guilty of the law. This yoke is not just the Ten Commandments. It's also like, well, how do I get right with God? Anytime we have Jesus and, that and becomes more dominant. Jesus and the law of Moses, it becomes the law of Moses. Jesus and, I'm going to go to church. That's how I'll get right with God. It becomes going to church. Make sense? You get the picture? So this yoke is a heavy burden of trying to be right with God. Uh, Hear these beautiful words from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus comes to us and says, I'll give your soul rest. Take my, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Literally, his burden is lightness. What else can you put on your back, and it's lighter than you were before? Anything? Just Jesus. Just the yoke of Jesus. You put Jesus on, and you are lighter than you were before. Why? Because of what we read about in Acts, because he gives you the Holy Spirit, because he cleanses your heart, because he puts you, he yokes you with him. Amen? That's the good news. That's why we're here. So I said, if Jesus is risen, he can decide what to save you from. Those are at least three things that he decides to save you from. How about how to save you? How does he save us? Well, we already have a hint of that, uh, as we read before. Peter said that... um, that the, the pagans, us, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Well, what do we believe? As Ken read earlier, that Christ died for our sins, 
that he was buried, and that he rose again for us. We believe that's for us. And just to finish up here, verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We're saved by Jesus alone. We are saved by grace alone, and that grace does not mean the power for me to live a good life. That grace is God's favor to forgive me, wipe my slate clean. We're saved by Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Faith is a gift. So we take it, we receive it. Say, Jesus, thank you for the things that you promise. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've cleansed my heart. Thank you that you yoke me with you. I receive it as a gift, even if I do not understand it. Now may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Having heard God's word,